Are you sitting quite comfortably? Then I'll begin. Hey, kids, comics! Comic books. An art form early alive. We can rebuild them. We have the technology. With digital downloads and bookstore penetration, which sounds a bit rude, but we can make them better than they were before. Better, stronger, faster. It's comics. And here are your hosts, Andrew and Michael Leyland. Hello, everyone. Hello, everyone. And welcome to our annual What We Got For Christmas episode. Mm. That I think, have we done one of these every year since we started this? I think In so. 2014? Mm-hmm. Have we really been doing it that? No, 2014 is wrong, isn't it? Yes, it is. What year did we start? 2012? 2011, 2012. 2011, something like that. You were only 15. I was. And now you're ancient. Ah, oh, feel it. <laughs> Too much whiskey <laughs> over the Christmas period, I'm telling you. Hoping everybody who listens had a lovely Christmas mm-hmm. with not too many surprises, like multiple celebrity deaths. Yeah. yeah. Who's died over Christmas? It's an advent calendar. It isn't is, it? isn't it? Who's Rick, behind Rick this Parfitt died. Fifty percent of status quo went. Yeah. George Michael died, so fifty percent of wham. Yeah. Is it just wah? Yeah, it's just wah now. <laughs> oh, mm. <Yeah. laughs> With an exclamation mark. Uh, Carrie Fisher died, which was deeply upsetting. Mm. And then her mum died. Yeah. And um, the, some woman from the royal family died. The old, the nan. Royal. The royal not, not family. The not the royal. Not yeah. Not Philip. We, we can only hope. Not Philip. Philip, the corgis have passed away. Philip. Although she didn't, Queenie didn't do. Um, she's getting ill. She isn't didn't go she? to church, did she? Maybe she did. A, she did the speech. If she, if she's the last of 2016, then yeah. <laughs> what do you have against Queenie? Is that is that treason? If I yes. just said that on the yes, audio recording, you treasonous, traitorous, treacherous pig. Oh yeah, that's just not on. I I, I blame my upbringing. <laughs> I don't have anything against the royal family. Yeah, yeah. I don't support them, but I don't hate them. It, the signs were all there when when I started listening to the Queen is dead. <laughs> la, da, da, la, da, da. Uh, I know you, and you cannot sing. You said you should hear me play piano. <laughs> anyway, I want to add you all what we got for Christmas show. So, as usual, this will take a slightly different format than what we normally do. We'll do our usual gabbling about what people bought us, and we'll also throw in a couple of emails to break up the monotony of us boasting about our capitalistic tendencies. Yeah. Immediately following the show where we talked about socialism. Yeah. <laughs> Now we're going to talk about capitalism and why it's great. Hypocrisy is one of my favourite pastimes. Hypocrisy is my middle name. <laughs> I'm a big fan of hypocrisy. <laughs> so first of all, I've got my little pile here of stuff that I don't actually have an awful lot to say about because obviously I've not read it yet. Okay. But unless otherwise stated, all of this came from uh, my lovely wife, Angela, who, despite us saying we're not going to spoil each other this year... You do every year. We spoiled each other this you year, do don't we? Because that's, yeah. that's what we do. So, you know. So, uh, but there's a couple of things. Uh, Anya got me uh, two, um, what they call them, lovely chocolate things that I walnut like. Walnut whips. Walnut whips. She got me two packs of cho- walnut whips. Yeah. Mmm, yummy. She got me a little Thornton chocolate bow. And Michael, sure, well, I'll start with Michael's. I'll start with Michael's first. Because is, is this the first year you actually bought us something on your own? Second. Second year that you've done it. So, Michael, I didn't know this existed. 
No, I, I, I saw it in Forbidden Planet and thought, that's the one. It is. It's the Star Trek Red Shirt's Little Book of Doom. Which is full of like lots of little comical drawings about the poor red shirt getting killed doing innocuous things. I don't know why they think he'd get killed doing a, a stand-up comedy show for the Vulcans. I mean, unless they're talking about dying on stage. Right, okay. Which is what you do when, when nobody laughs yeah. as a stand-up comedian. But this was really quite cool. I like this. Mm. So thank you very much. It's okay. I, I like that a lot because I had no idea it was coming. I had no idea that it existed. So that was the first thing. But the, the things that I don't really have much to say about... Uh, I got volume 13 of The Walking Dead, which is the hardcovers. We're deep into the storyline with the people who were other people's faces at this point. but um, So Negan's still around, but we've not actually got to this story in the, the TV show yet. So I would imagine we'll get there at some point. I did tell your mum not to open the front page because a character that has just made its debut in the TV show ha- has his head on a pike on the first page of this collection. Right. So I told your mum to not open that. I'll have a look at it. You've, have you been keeping up with The Walking Dead? I've not read the last few. No. Uh, once you get into them, you can pretty much blitz around with it. No, I know. It's just I'm never... Unlike You're not in, a big fan of it, are you? It's not that I'm not a big fan of it, but unlike Invincible, there's mm. nothing that just draws me in. If you I, if you I lose interest, prefer Invincible. Yeah, if I lose interest in The Walking Dead, I've lost interest in it. Well, the, the last Invincible hardcover we got was volume 10. Has there not been another one of them since? I don't think Because so. I don't think I've read 9 and 10 of Invincible yet. The last few Invincibles have been absolutely solid. See, there's a, there's a thing, though, that I'm... Now I know he's announced, announced the end of it. He's just run away until the end. There's a part of me now that just thinks, ah, yeah, I'll just wait till I've got all of them and just mainline it. That's fair, but... Because that's another... That is typically Kirkman, isn't it? And if you're reading that monthly, like The yeah. Walking Dead, I can imagine it being an infuriating read. I know, but stuff happens in Invincible. It, it does. I, I maintain that. The big hardbacks mm. only... One or two major things happen in an entire twelve issue book. of The Walking Dead. Yeah, not Invincible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas Invincible actually has big cosmic, oh, yeah. expanding stories, yeah. and the characters are all changing and growing. Essentially, he's doing Spider-Man properly. Yeah, isn't he? Which is why I decided to end it because it was the anti-Spider-Man. Yeah, Mark Grayson started at fifteen. Yeah, and now he's early twenties. No, he's he slightly older than that. He's, he's going to be older than that. Yeah. Is he? Yeah. He's so he's, al- he's, so he's not been, aged at roughly the same time He's as always you. been a few years older than me. Right. Okay, fair enough. But maybe that's why you liked Invincible. Yeah. Because you came into it at roughly his age. And it was my Spider-Man. Yeah. And it's it like I say, it's one creator going through the whole thing. I like Invincible. Like I said, I don't think I've read hardcover 9 and 10 because at this point I'm just going to... I don't know how many hardcovers we're going, ultimately going to end up with. What do you think? 13? 11 or 12? Something like that. Because yeah. I don't know. I don't know what 10 ends up with. But anyway. It's actually ended in a, in a few months this yeah. summer. Well, he announced a while ago that he was bringing it to an end. Yeah. I was quite surprised to read that interview where he said that he had thought of handing it over to somebody else. Yeah. Because I thought the whole point of it was to do the, what you said, Spider-Man properly, or what you said, the anti-Spider-Man. Yeah. To actually tell the story with one creator and bring it to a conclusion. So the idea that he toyed with giving it to someone and letting other creatives take over, how serious do you think that was? I don't know. I think it was just a passing thought. Yeah, I, I don't think he would have done that, to be honest. Because I, I like Invincible as well. I do think Invincible's a great book. Uh, the, other, the, the other two things I don't have a lot to say about before we get to the things that I do say about. Hansler also bought me Volume 7 and Volume 8, Endgame and Super Heavy, of the Scott Snyder Greg Capullo run on Batman. So that you can have all the individual issues. Um, There's only one official volume of this left, isn't there? Volume 9. And then issue 10's a weird one, isn't it? Issue 10's weird. Volume 10, sorry. Because it has the last issue that's 51. Yeah. 
Which is bizarre, because just put it in volume nine. I thought it was 52. Oh, did they not do 52 no, Batman? they did 51. Right, okay. So um, not like so they didn't do what they did with Justice League. Yeah. That an another creative team came in and just did a 50-second yeah, yeah. issue. No, right. it's just 51. And it also collects the zero year f- rebirth. F- Something like that. Future's End, that's the one. Yeah. It's got the rebirth and the future. And it's got the rebirth so, issue one. Yeah, which is an all-star issue, really. It does very much seem like they could have crammed all of that into a volume nine. Yeah. And not milked us for more money. Because they are quite flimsy volumes. Yeah, well, they? volume seven. Volume seven has only 35 to 40. So what's that, six issues? That's just the endgame stuff. But it doesn't even have the backup strips in. That's no. in the Joker endgame graphic novel. Yeah, so so they would expect you to buy the Joker endgame. And the only reason I'm buying these is so you can have the comics. No, it's not. You like having them yourself. Well, yeah, but... The, the, the new 52 comics are yours. I bought them for you. Yeah, it was only because you didn't have any room, really. Yeah, pr- but you ended up loving this run so much Yeah. that when you pick it off to uni, I was like, but I'm not finished reading it. <laughs> so you couldn't tech them. So I started buying the trades because I got the first three trades for from cheap. Costco for £7 each. Yeah. And then I picked up the other two on eBay for not bad. And then I've just picked the others up with, you know, Amazon gift cards and such yeah. as we've got along. So I've, I've never paid full price well, for them. apart from them being sillily collected. Yeah, you're not a big fan of the collecting. No, I'm not, because no. they're weird. But you've got them all together in neat little trays. Whereas yeah. I've got to lug these big, heavy trees you. To you prefer the individual. You prefer do. the individual comics or big, fat absolutes. Yeah. Don't you? That is true. That's what. So those seven and eight of them, super heavy in Endgame. So I may as well finish that collection and you can take uh, all the Snyders and Capullos run away with you. Yeah. And then finally, she got me something. I didn't even remember this was on my list. Right. I didn't even remember asking for these two. But it's... You just opened it. Oh. Oh, cool. Because it's Birds of Prey Volume 1 and Birds of Prey Volume 2 from the Chuck Dixon run, which I've never read. Right. Because although there are various issues of this that crop up in the cheapy bins, yeah. you're not going to get a complete run because of, is it issue number seven, the Dick Grayson goes on a date with Barbara issue? Right, and that's mad money. That for some reason is stupid expensive. Issue eight. Yeah. I'm just looking at that. That's stupid money mm. for that one issue. So I never bothered getting it even when I saw it in the cheap bins. Right. Because I figured, well, I'm never going to get that issue. Because you know what I'm like. I'm not going to pay top dollar for it. Yep. (laughs) So getting these two was quite nice because I've just finished Chuck Dixon's Robin Run. I got all... Well, I had the first 16 issues of that up through... What did we do? We did Nightfall, Zero Hour, Prodigal. I think I had up through Prodigal. Yeah. Which was something like the first 15 or 16 issues. And I saw all of them apart from the Joker's Wild crossover from issue 95. Yeah. All of them in the 50p bins, and so I just bought them all. So I've got all, so I bought all of them as single issues. But this was quite a pleasant surprise because I hadn't anticipated getting these. It's a weird collection, though. The first one isn't the, the series. The first one, volume one, is Birds of Prey, Black Canary Oracle, Birds of Prey 1, Showcase 96, issue 3, Birds of Prey Manhunt 1 through 4, Birds of Prey Revolution 1, Birds of Prey Wolves 1, and Birds of Prey Batgirl 1, which I presume makes some kind of sense if you're a Birds of Prey fan, but means absolutely nothing to me. I'm assuming they're just all the issues that set it up all. I presume so, and it looks like Chuck Dixon wrote most of it. It says Jordan B. Gorfinkel. You remember his name from when we did Batman? He, he contributed to. And it's only Volume 2 where they start collecting Birds of Prey. So Volume 2 is Birds of Prey 1 through 11 
and birds of prey ravens. So if I was you, I'd probably do some research on what all that meant. But as it's just me, I'm just going to read them. Fair enough. So I, obviously I don't have but anything to say. then you'll be able to know whether it works, yeah. like that. Yeah, well, I can, obviously I have nothing to say because I've never read them. It is going to be interesting to see what happens when this gets up to... Is it the Hunt for Oracle? What, the crossover? Yeah, because the Hunt for Oracle issues are obviously in the Nightwing trades. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting to see... They're going to put the Nightwing trades in Birds of Prey. Yeah, are they going to put the Nightwing issues in here as well, if mm. this carries on past... I mean, I don't know how many more volumes of this there is. There may be a volume three. I don't know. So they're the things that I got that I don't know anything about or haven't anything to say about. So, although we've killed... Ten minutes. That's true. Of nothing to say about. That's, so that's, you, how, that's how very little nothing. That's how very say. little nothing I have to say. I talk a lot without really saying anything. That is true. It's very true. Do you want to do your first one, or should we do an email? I can do an email. All right, we'll do an email first. So our first email goes all the way back to the Superman Batman show. It's from the lovely Chris and Cindy Franklin. Oh, I need to give a shout out to Chris and Cindy, don't I? I got home today from being at the gym, and I got something in the post. It's a Spider-Man wooden figure. I don't know what that is, <laughs> but it's adorably cute, mm. and it came from, from Chris and Cindy. The best thing, though, was that Chris actually drew something. Yeah. Because Chris studied comic art, Okay. and there was a, a draft, he's a draftsman in his job. Right. So it was nice to actually get an original Chris Franklin. He drew me a little <laughs> sketch of Spider-Man upside down wearing a Santa hat. I'll and, something one day. Indeed it will. Verisimilitude. The hat, because he's upside down, he's falling. That's true. He's, he's put some thought into it. <laughs> and it says Merry Christmas from the Frank. And it's, it's great, that. I love that. I love, I've got an original Chris Franklin. Are you going to frame it? I'm going to frame it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to frame it and put it on my wall with my uh, original piece of art that, uh, that Stephen got me from Thought Bubble. Oh, yeah. An original David Wynn. Mm-hmm. So I should put both of them together, shouldn't I? My original pieces of art that I've got. So thank you, Chris and Cindy, for that. That was much appreciated. Um, only arrived today, which, as we record, this is the 29th of December. So we've not actually got to 2017 yet. We've not. So um, should we should we do some Chris email, which is a timely Superman Batman show? I think he's been sarcastic, though. <laughs> I don't think it was timely in any way no. whatsoever. Hello, Leylands. Hello, Christopher, which is our standard greeting. Mm-hmm. Ah, Superman and Batman, the cornerstones of superhero comics. I'm a sucker for these two, and I'm one of those folks who never gets tired of seeing them together. Well, okay, I'm with Michael. The nauseating caption boxes in the Superman-Batman title got a bit tiring after the first story, but... Cindy and I covered Action Comics Annual Number 1 over on Supermates episode 38, along with the Hammer classic The Vampire Lovers. So if you want to hear our thoughts and questions on this comic, many of which were the same of yours, and talk about Ingrid Pitt's two best acting performances please feel free to check it out as you can imagine i get hit a lot in that one i don't have to imagine it. i've listened to that and uh, every time they talk about Andrew Pitt, he just heard his wife go right <laughs> and chris go ow yes ingrid pitt took her clothes off a lot in hammer movies right okay just was, in case was that one of those where you grew up watching them and they were your favorite films they, they were your favorite parts of the film right okay ingrid pitt's favorite part well like life force when you just fast forwarded the rest it, of life it. force is a seminal movie <laughs> i'm telling you the fact that it's not a very good movie <laughs> is completely <laughs> irrelevant it is a seminal movie if you were 13, 14 years old when it came out well, on the, video. The power of nudity on, on young prepubescent <laughs> boys speaks a lot about the, you know... Yeah, but the, she, it's not just nudity, it's not just one scene. She doesn't wear a stitch throughout the entire film. <laughs> As a 14-year-old, there was no fast-forwarding, right, unless okay. you want to fast-forward the bit where Patrick Stewart goes bonkers. Right. But even that has its own camp appeal to see Jean-Luc Picard going crazy. Okay. But yeah, you couldn't fast-forward it. She didn't wear anything throughout the movie. Best film ever. 
And not for it being particularly good. No, it's a shit film. <laughs> it really isn't a very good movie. It's a, I think it's a canon film, isn't it? So you instantly know right. that the level of quality <laughs> is stamped right there. But, you know, Matilda May. Anyway, um, Chris's email continues. Love, love, love the Batman Adventures comic. But was disappointed to see Amish Lex and Super Mullet. Sorry, Mike, but it is a mullet here. I got past it pretty quickly, though. Fantastic stuff. Did I ever mention I actually won the original art contest one month? It's announced in the letters page of one of the later issues, but alas, the art never made it to me. I really should have pursued it and contacted DC, but college kept me busy. Yeah, I've mentioned that before, and it's a shame because Matt Parabek's no longer with us. Yeah. So you could have had a, a, a piece of Parabek original. I wonder where it went. Or if they just never sent it, if they just forgot to send it. It's lost in the mail somewhere. Yeah, if it's lost in the mail somewhere, you know. In, in the Royal Mail ether. <laughs> well, it'd be the dead letter office in America. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, they don't have Royal Mail. Mm. Queenie doesn't deliver their post <laughs> single-handed like that she does over here. <laughs> yeah. Michael! Michael! Here's your vinyl, Michael! That, oh, thanks, Queenie! Is that why the, the post is so late? Because <laughs> the Queen's doing it all. No, it's so late because Philip's trying to do it as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Queenie and Philip hand-delivering the Royal <laughs> Mail is something that would be worth what we pay for them. It would, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm bloody dogs again. Oh, get off me. Get off me. Philip, leave the dogs alone. Philip, come and deliver this parcel to young Michael. <laughs> that wouldn't happen. It, it wouldn't, no, it's for several a... reasons. the very low brow how this... Lizzie. Oh, why have you brought us to the north, Lizzie? <laughs> oh, we'll conclude Chris's email. Love. I haven't read the Superman Batman annual, but I did read the original version of the story from World's Finest, continues Chris, albeit in digest form in a WF-themed DJ. Oh, World's Finest. Right. Right, I, was, I thought he was doing a WTF though. <laughs> and I, I thought for a minute, why why would DC have a WTF Batman Superman? Unless they would put that on the poster of the film. Oh, that's the 21st century Elseworlds stuff. <laughs> WTF? <laughs> OMG. Emoji Comics. LOLs. <laughs> oh, Chris continues, but I did read the original version of the story from World's Finest, albeit in digest form in the early 80s. Superman's supernova outfit was purple and green there as well, so I'm going to have to read this newer version. Luckily, Cindy has all these Superman Batman trades at work. To the library, old chum. Great shows always, Chris. Well, thank you very much, Chris. Uh, that was our first email of the night from Chris. There will probably be more mm. as we go along. Do you want to tell us something you got for Christmas? Uh, well, you. Yours are all suspiciously non-comic related, apart from one. one. Yeah. yeah, well, this this one is a little... Uh, the, the Secret Diary of Laura Palmer. That's a reprint. I know it is. That came out when the series first came out in the 90s. Oh, in 97. Why have they republished it? I don't know, because it's getting a season three. Oh, right. Okay. So so Twin Peaks is big again. It is, yeah. So all the references to Twin Peaks in one of my presents this year, they're, they're suddenly relevant again. Who was the one? There's more than one. Oh, fair enough. There's quite a few. Yeah, I'm assuming it's it's by Jennifer Lynch. I don't know if that's any relation to... David's David daughter. Lynch. Oh, right, okay. But it's, it's, it's just Laura's diary. And is it good? I don't know. I've not read it. Oh. Is it not a bit creepy reading somebody else's diary after they're dead? I suppose it is. <laughs> Even fictional characters. You should have wrapped it in, in plastic. plastic. Hey! Do you know, I did not think of that. That would have been funny. I mean, you'd have been able to see what it was, though. Unless I wrapped it in plastic. And so much wrapped, plastic. Yeah, that... So much bubble wrap <laughs> yeah. that you couldn't actually see what it was. Yes. Yeah. But did you not like the little drawing I did on it? The cup of coffee. I drew a cup of coffee on it. I saw the cup of coffee. 
Because Anya said, oh, you can't look at it because it'll give it away. But it's a bit of a naff drawing. So it might Oi! <laughs> naff drawing, my ass. And I'm looking at it. Is it a cover? <laughs> I, I don't know why I put up with you two. I really, really don't. Um, the next present today is Naff Angela. This was off my mum and my dad. Now, the first one was the Ultimate Rambo Collection. Yeah. Which has all four of the Rambo movies on glorious Blu-ray. Ultimate homoeroticism. Well, First Blood has no homoeroticism in it. Okay, Because yeah. he's, I think he looks his best in First Blood. Right. Because he looks like he does in Rocky Three. He's lean. But he's not massive. Yeah, rather than overly muscular. Yeah. Whereas by the time we get to the second one, when, you know, just what's his name. Now, Tom Panarese and Luke Giaconetti recently did an episode of Pop Culture Avidavid about, um, about the first two Rambo movies. Go and listen to it. And it kind of negates me doing a palace of glittering delight on them. Okay. Right. Because they said pretty much everything I want to say. You can do three and four then. Well, First Blood, First Blood's great. Yeah. I don't think there's any argument there. Hmm. It's an extremely good action movie that is a lot deeper than people give it credit for. It's just PTSD, the film, isn't it? Yeah, and it's exploring... But in 1982, that wasn't as common as it is now. Yeah. So it was quite unusual to do a film. Was America still kind of licking the wounds a bit about it? Yeah, there was a bit of a licking the wounds about the Vietnam War, and so a lot of that was coming from real life. It's one of Stallone's better political scripts. Yeah, because I think he did have a hand it's, in rewriting. It's not quite Rocky Four. It's not quite Rocky Four, <laughs> which did end the Cold War. <laughs> yeah, it did. That's in the history book. Because if he could change, then they could <laughs> change, change and they could all change. Yeah. So Rocky Four ended Cold War. <laughs> right. Because Gorbachev was watching that fight. You saw that film. That's true. Gorbachev yeah. was in the audience <laughs> watching the fight, yeah. and Rocky ended the Cold War. <laughs> So, well done, Rocky Balboa. There's only so much you can accomplish. What Rambo couldn't achieve, Rocky did. Yeah, what, what Rambo couldn't achieve. Rocky did without killing anybody. <laughs> yeah. You know. So, then the first one's really quite... The action set pieces are really good, particularly the motorbike chairs. I really love that. But um, there's, a, there's a subtlety to it that isn't present in any of the sequels. And yeah. And Stallone remembers that he's an actor. <laughs> right. And his breakdown at the end, I think, is actually really well done. Because you're not expecting Sylvester Stallone to break down and cry. Yeah. And it's really difficult to imagine the cartoon Rambo of the sequel doing that. Yeah. Because Rambo... Have you seen Rambo First Blood Part 2? Because I've not that's, watched the Blu-ray yet. That's just the glorification of what if America won, isn't it? That's just our chance to go back. It yeah. is, it's very we much... get to win this time. Yeah, Luke Giaconetti mentioned this in, in that show, the t- pop culture affidavit. It is, it's hard to dislike the movie because it's a well-made piece of cartoon pap. Yeah. And you do get behind him and you do support him and by the end of it you're all very rah 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 Rambo. But as a Rambo film it's... No, but as a Rambo film it's as an entertaining 80s action piece. It's just thematically totally different to the first one. Yeah, the character of Rambo is a cartoon in the second one. Whereas in the first one there's layers to it Mm. that you don't really get. But the second one's still fun as opposed to the third one which has him helping the Taliban. And moving on from that, and then the final one... They were the Muhajadeen back there. They, they were. Like... That, that's very true. And James Bond helps them. That's true. In Living Daylights. <laughs> Again, mentioned on their show. So let's not give Bond a pass. <laughs> you know, Rambo and Bond both back the wrong team, though. Yeah, yeah. So, and then the fourth one's really good. Yeah. John Rambo, or just Rambo as it's called on here, which is just thoroughly confusing as a title i really like the fourth one mm. i think the fourth one's really fun so that's that's something to keep me entertained when your mum falls asleep on me because she's not a big fan of the rambo movies but the fun they're awesome <laughs> even the third one's got a couple of giggle worthy moments in it it's the third one the the uh thunderdome of the the third rambo one films. the third one's the nadir of the franchise right. yes 
but it's still enjoyable with a few beers inside you. No, nowhere is this as bad as any of Chuck Norris's or Steven Seagal's movies. That's true. <laughs> but there, there isn't a Sylvester Stallone movie that's as bad as those films, even over the top. Okay. Where he tried to do for arm wrestling what Rocky did for boxing. Okay. It's very difficult to make arm wrestling. <laughs> arm wrestling. <laughs> Have you never seen Over the Top? <laughs> it's god awful. Okay. It's not even like Cobra. Right. Which is a god awful rehash of Dirty Harry, but entertaining in its yeah, awfulness. Yeah, yeah. Over the top's just awful. He's a truck driving arm wrestler. How do you make arm wrestle interesting to watch? You don't. Is it just close ups of the faces? (laughs) And the big sweaty biceps. You son of a bitch. Yeah, the forearms doing that and bulging. And it's it's a terrible, terrible mover. Whereas Cobra is at least entertaining for being utter crap. (laughs) But but no, over the top bother. Right, okay. Get a few beers in you and watch Cobra because that's funny. We watched Cobra. We've never finished it, though. I finished it. Uh, uh, it's got a good soundtrack, Cobra. Right, okay. and it's very 80s power pop. Yeah, yeah. And it's not very good, really. A bit but of synthwave in yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, a lot of synthwave. Uh, but the best present of Christmas, and your mum won't mind me saying that, okay. even with everything she spent on me, <laughs> the best present of Christmas came from my mum and dad, who finally found a copy of Cyborg by Martin Caden, the first British print from 1973 which has the cover uh, of Steve Austin, half man, half machine, the deadliest secret agent of them all, with his skin all ripped off to expose his bionic ass, mm. which is the one I was after for ages. Now filmed for TV as The Six Million Dollar Man, starring Lee Majors. And the book, I've read the book before, obviously, and I read it not long ago um, on a digital copy, but I finally got a paper copy here. There you go, no digital film. Uh, the 75-minute TV pilot that became the series is actually a pretty good adaptation of the novel. Right. With the caveat that they completely changed the ending. Okay. He doesn't go into the desert in the book. He does lots of underwater stuff mm. and it reveals that his legs can do flipper things and he has, okay. he has weapons hidden inside his leg and, and stuff. The was, TV shows, the, bu- the book he can do things that they couldn't do on the TV show budget. Yeah. And, and there's other things as well. There's minor differences like his eye isn't, it's bionic but it's a camera. Right. Whereas in the TV show, he can see with it. In the book, he can't. He's, you know, he's no depth perfect perception. So that that was really... It's in good condition as well, isn't it? Mm. It's in really good condition. Apart from the side, where it's quite obviously been near the sun. Yeah. But if I get a red pen and go over Cyborg, no one would know, would they? No. i do it properly. I'll get your mum on it. She's going to You did that with your V, didn't you? I did that with V, yeah. Yeah, I did that with my V. So that's brilliant. That's Thank you very much. Much appreciated. What have you got? Uh, I'll move on to this one next. So this is off uh, My Girlfriend. Hey Dana. Hey Dana. She's sat in the next room. Yeah. And it is a twelve-inch single of uh, Bruce Springsteen's Glory Days. It d- 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 explain further. Right. It's not just at what it's the original. It is. It's an original pressing. But I was looking this up actually. The, it was only ever pressed once. Hmm. But it's uh, everywhere else I looked. It's a seven-inch single hmm. with just uh, Glory Days and the stand on it. Hmm. Previously unreleased. He wrote it and then gave it to some other musician. Right. Uh, whereas, but we would do. Yeah. Whereas this version's a 12-inch with Sherry Darling from the river and Racing in the Street from Darkness on the Edge of Town on the back. On the B-side, even. Yeah. It's quite cool. Well, Glory Days, it's, it's got two A-sides and two B-sides. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, Glory Days isn't like the New Order version of Blue Monday. No. Where the 12-inch goes on for days. No, no, no. It's, it's just taken straight from it. I'm assuming it was um, not publicity one. Promo? More, yeah, more of a promotional piece because mm. it's got one song off a couple of the albums and then just an unreleased track to, to make, make fans like you buy it. Yeah, yeah, of course. 
that's quite cool though that it's the original I didn't even know this existed really until the other day right brilliant wow she rocks oh yeah Um, should we move on with the show let's do another email Let's throw another email in while we're half an hour into the show. Um, Nathaniel Wayne emailed in about Harley. As you can probably guess, says Nathaniel Wayne, I am way behind on my podcast listening, so this isn't even close to a timely reply. I wouldn't worry too much about that, Nathaniel. (laughs) Neither's this. Neither's this. No, you wrote this to us on the 15th of November. So um, it's it's finally been read out very nearly to 2017. Yeah. So a month and a half late. So I wouldn't worry about it. A few thoughts on the topic of Harley Quinn. I'll probably jump around a bit as I go along. So forgive the likely rambly nature of this email. I hadn't actually read the main continuity introduction of Harley, so I can't speak to the execution. But based off your description, I'll talk about some of the ideas I like and some I don't. Firstly, the whole thing does kind of smack of obligation from the sound of it. Paul Dini has already told Harley's origin the way he wanted, and probably went into this under instruction to do it again, but it has to line up with such and such current editorial mandate and events. And you just can't expect the same level of output under those circumstances. That being said, I actually personally like the toning down of the sexual aspect of the Harley-Joker relationship. Granted, it makes her motivations a bit harder to understand since she's getting so little back from him, but there are other reasons besides sex for people to gravitate to each other. But really, the reason I like it is because, in my own head canon, the Joker is asexual. Not just with Harley, but in general. That's not to say he doesn't or can't have sex, but in my mind, if he does, then it has to be some of his trademark twisted joke logic reasons, not because he gets his rocks off that way. In my mind, I should never be able to relate to the Joker's motivations for doing things. And as far as I'm concerned, having a sex drive, even a kinky one, just makes him a little bit too normal. Anyway, the Joker does a normal activity. It should be for abnormal reasons, and a sex drive flies in the face of that. Again, headcanon and not something I prefer to actually back up due to my well-documented allergy to research. Well, it's funny you should say that, Nathaniel, because that was Denny O'Neill's take on it, wasn't it? What? That the Joker was asexual oh, yeah. and didn't care. And if you go back and read all the Bronze Age and Denny O'Neill stuff, the Joker didn't care about sex. No. It's, it's kind of been twisted into more of a somewhat sexual obsession with Batman, though. Yeah. Some writers have taken that as his obsession with Batman, like you say, has been twisted to be a sexual obsession with Batman. Yeah. Which I don't think was ever really part of the original. Or just like but... He's ignorant of sexual interest. Because of an obsession with Batman. Yeah, that's the general consensus. Yeah. And or that... because he's a comic character mm. in a not mature title mm. and sex just isn't a thing. Yeah. So he doesn't bother, does it? So No, that sounds very Bronze Age to me. On a strictly intellectual level, continued Nathaniel, I also kind of like that the story gave Harley a little more agency in her own story. Though it sounds like the execution of that got buggered up a bit, and the whole Ivy making her strong was completely pointless, I'm kind of over-explaining that I hate about modern storytelling. And I don't dig the question of can Dr. Arkham commit highly, because honestly, in real-life court of law, Arkham would be nearly empty, as almost all of those guys would be in jail. Being crazy doesn't get you out of prison. There are a ton of mentally disturbed people in prisons, and the comics version of the insanity plea has never worked the way it does in real life. Which, I think, actually backs up what we were saying. Mm. That, you know... The Arkham Asylum has people committed to Arkham who are insane. The yeah. Penguin's not insane. Catwoman. Catwoman's not insane. Although, as, as in new continuity, has Catwoman ever been arrested? I don't know that she I has, has she? Either. No, I don't think that she has. So the idea that Arkham could kill just a croc. commit her. Kill a croc. Kill a croc's not insane. Yeah, Actually, that's probably the only thing I liked about the Suicide Squad film. Kill a croc. Kill, kill a croc's not an Arkham. 
<laughs> yeah, because it does make sense. The fact that Jeremiah could just commit a surely even within the context but of... But Jeremiah himself is crazy. Yes, he is, isn't he? Yeah. Oh, well, that just throws everything out the window, doesn't it? Oh, uh, you likened Harley, continues Nathaniel to the Punisher, our Wolverine, but I see she's more like DC's Deadpool. If nothing else, you'll see as many cosplays of both at any given convention. I only started going to cons this year, and the number of Harleys was staggering, primarily Suicide Squad Harleys, who presumably bought their costumes before finding out the movie was a bit crap. For my part, I think the Arkham video games did a better job of taking Harley in a slightly different direction from the animated origins while still having it ring true. That said, I haven't gotten to any of the new stuff she's headlining lately, and with the stink of New 52 finally being washed off, maybe I'll venture back one of these days. Great episode as always. Sorry for the late reply. Yours, Nathaniel Wayne. And Nathaniel is part of the Council of Geeks, so you should go and check out some of that stuff which yeah. is available on YouTube and as podcasts and you know when I was at New York Comic Con Wait, I, I didn't know that you'd gone well, there. Uh, that's, yeah but when I went there um, they, they snapchat this thing where if there's an event or anything mm. people can upload their snaps to yeah. that thing and someone was doing a Harley Quinn count and by the end of the day they'd gotten up to like 50 or so people dressed up as Harley Quinn See, I don't mind. If that's what they want to dress up as. No, that's, that's true, it's true. If they want to go as Harley. That seems perfectly fine with me. Any road up, we shall do another present. Again, off Angela. She bought me the Spider-Man by Todd McFarlane Omnibus. It's not really an omnibus, is it? No. <laughs> Let's be brutally honest. What's in this? 4, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 16 issues. Because he did 15 issues of Spider-Man and then the crossover with X-Force. So it's issue 1 through 14 and issue 16 of Spider-Man and issue 4 of X-Force by Jim Liefeld. Um, Jim Liefeld. Yeah, sorry, Rob Liefeld. Um, we've got a Todd McFarlane episode in the can, have Is that we just not? the same cover but with a different costume? Yeah, but he's just changed the costume. I've just, I'm up to issue 13 in reading it. Right. Uh, and that's where my bootmark is, so that's where it's fell up. Uh, he, we've got uh, an issue in the can already that will come out after this. Um, all about Todd McFarlane in a similar manner that we did the Jim Lee one. But he's very definitely Todd McFarlane by the time you get into here, isn't yeah. it? There's still more to read in this than there perhaps is in modern comics. But you're already looking at four panel pages, splash pages, four panel pages, two page splashes. Yeah. You're already very much looking at Todd padding out his work. The Perception story, which is generally regarded to be the best one, where Spider-Man goes to investigate a child killer, right. paedophile, in Canada with Wolverine, didn't need to be that many issues. Yeah. But you can very definitely see where he wanted to go with Spawn. Right. Because that's what the story... This, the story is essentially a Spawn story. Was Spider-Man a, a bigger book? Did it have yeah. more pages? In no, it? it didn't have any more pages, oh, but right, it was right. glossy... Proper paper, yeah. all that stuff, more than the newsprint of the newsstands. So I don't know if it's been recolored. It all looks very nice, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. And there's um, there's a nice amount of back matter, mostly of the same torment cover. Yeah, there is. I mean that that yeah, it does go to say that you've got the torment bagged edition, which made you laugh. It did. That they've done a photocopy of, <laughs> of the, the bag. <laughs> did amuse me, didn't it? <laughs> yeah. And then you've got the silver cover, and then you've got the gold cover, and then you've got the back back page. The foil cover, the emboss cover, the yeah, glow dark yeah, cover. Yeah. It's nice that they, they do include all the spider's web issues. Uh, letters pages, sorry. The covers of Marvel Edge, an interview with Todd from Marvel Edge, Marvel trivia quiz where the answers are wrong. 
Uh, because number one, when Mary Jane became Mary Jane Watson Parker, her wedding gown was designed by what real life fashion designer? A. Liz Claiborne, B. Giorgio Armani, C. Willie Smith, or D. Sure, the answer is C. Willie Smith. Unless you look at the answer there where it thinks that Liz Claiborne did it. Okay. So I can only assume that Marvel have printed the answers to another trivia quiz. Right. In, so they're, all of them are wrong. Fortunately, I got them all right. So I, I didn't need of course that, did. because I remember all this trivia and minutiae about Spider-Man, but can't remember how to do basic GCSE maths. Yeah. It's a sad set of affairs, isn't it? Uh, there's a very funny Fred Hembeck strip, strip sorry, about Spider-Man breaking his leg. There's a censored panel that was cut from uh, Spider-Man 15 of the Juggernaut getting gouged in the eye that was cut, that was one of the reasons that Toddler quit. But they could print it in this. Yes, well, it actually says... Because Marvel Age isn't a code-approved book, right. they could print it in there. Okay. So that was one of the reasons Todd quit, apparently. That one panel. Fair enough. He wanted to do what he wanted it's to do. censoring his artistic vision. Yeah. I did like that they published um, the pages from Marvel's year in review from 1990, 1990 sorry, and 1991. And the title is, An out-of-character lizard plays Pitbull to a would-be craven. Right. That's kind of slagging torment off. In a Marvel book, had Todd gone by this point? It could have done. Because yeah. <laughs> that... could say what you want about yeah, it. Then. Yeah, yeah. And then there's an Amazing Heroes cover by Todd McFarlane and Spider-Man comics review covers where Spider-Man is being taken from behind by a big, <laughs> big fat naked man. Yeah, presumably the Kingpin. Okay. I wish he'd put some clothes on. <laughs> uh, Wizard magazine's number one. And Get number it? Because because he's a wizard. He's, he's dressed like Harry Potter. Yeah, and. Um, Introduction to various different torments, more alternate cover for torment than various back issue, back issue, various back matters. The best thing about this is there's some original art at the back, signed by Todd. But the best thing about this is if you remove the dust cover, this was quite a surprise for you as well. Yeah, it was brilliant as yeah. well. You remove the dust cover, the the thick hardback cover is a gorgeous shot of Spider-Man from Torment recolored digitally, which according to the back matter at the back if we find that bit again, is actually from somewhere, and I bet I can't find it now. There you go. It is um, from Premier the Premier hardcover. hardcover. So you used to have some of the Premier Hardcovers. I did. So, it's, it's, so it's, it's really cool that you take the dust jacket off and you've got a brilliant WhatsApp. In comparison to another omnibus that I got for Christmas right. that we'll talk about in a moment. So, so is that just the... Todd McFarlane collection then. It's the second one. They did an omnibus of all of his amazing issues. Right. With David Michelini, which I which kind of was going to buy. money. Yes. I was going to buy it, and I've got all the issues. And now I wish I had, because it's out of print, and it goes for 300 quid. Yeah. So, anyway. So that that's really... It's a really... It's a handsome cover. Despite it's a handsome not, volume. Not being worthy enough to be an omnibus. I don't, yeah, I don't know if I'd call it an omnibus. Is it an omnibus just for the sake of fitting with that format? It, it goes with the amazing collection. Yeah, and maybe they should have said Spider-Man by Todd McFarlane supplemental yeah. to the, the other collection. That that does make more sense. Or just Spider-Man, Todd McFarlane 2. Yeah, yeah, maybe. But it's it's thinner than the J. Michael Zorinke Thor one. Well, there's less in the Spider-Man, isn't there? Yeah, there's the certainly... It's a lovely book. I'm glad you bought it, Max. It's DC really nice. did print six-issue absolute, so... Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Okay. I will concur with that. What did you get? Uh, so I'll move on to another quick one. Again, off off my girlfriend. 
uh, and it's uh, Yellow Cards, When You Through Think and Say Yes, which <laughs> was the first album after they returned from hiatus in 2011. Mm-hmm. They're no longer together. But this album's been printed in vinyl before, but it's got a repress in a new exclusive colour just for this... Oh, ho- is this a coloured vinyl? for this holiday season. Oh, is this the purple one? Yeah, it's purple and with a white splatter on it. And I just cannot get over how you hold your records. That's because they're just... They're not a CD. Your fingerprints don't stop them from playing. You don't put your fingers all over the vinyl. When I was a kid, you held it like this. You held it by the sides. Oh, that's a bit of a prissy way to do it. No, isn't wait, it? it's the proper way it's to. Oh, my records still work so. perfectly. Do you clean them? Yeah, of course. Yeah, you they're... clean them on a regular basis. Because especially having your record player on a carpet floor as well, it starts picking up. Stuff. Why don't you have it on a proper thing? I don't have the room in my oh, room. Okay, fair enough. Well, that makes sense. Uh, all right, well, we'll do another email. Bob Fisher emailed him. Bob's not emailed for ages. No. So it's nice to hear from Bob again. Hello, Andrew and Michael. Sorry about the length of time between emails, but I am old and really quite lazy. That being said, a few comments about the Darwin Cup episode. Darwin Cook, not Cup. <laughs> the Darwin Cup sounds like something you win at cricket, doesn't it? <laughs> the Darwin Cup. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like something the Australians would beat us at every single year. <laughs> Uh, Anyway, uh, yeah, that's a few comments about the Darwin Cook episode featuring the Superman Kryptonite series. First off, giant super cake. Whenever Superman had to make something on a large scale, he uses gigantic tools to do the job. One other time he made a giant cake that I can remember off the top of my head was a story about Superboy's last day in Smallville. He made a giant cake and sliced a piece off for everyone in Smallville. Most of them did not eat it, but saved it as memorabilia. I remember that story. Okay. He made a huge cake. And and no one ate it. He had a big knife. Right. Yeah, and people kept it as a collector's item. It'll be on eBay now, all mouldy and green. Some <laughs> original piece of Superboy cake. Going for $500,000. Is it worth out? I'd have it. Because everyone is Smallville, South Northern and British. <laughs> Smallville is actually in Yorkshire. Of course, yeah. <laughs> Hey, if they can move locations and films and TV and comics, I can say it's in Yorkshire. I'm from Smallville. No, the one in Yorkshire, not the one in America. Emmerdale is really called Smallville. Is it? Yeah. Is that what it is? That's true. Uh, Bob continues, did you ever pick up a series of comics or trade at a convention or shop or wherever and think to yourself that you can't wait to read it but never get around to it until a couple of blokes from Northern England decide to talk about it on their podcast? No, just me. Hmm. Well, we don't tend to do that. (laughs) If we tend to pick up something and go, oh, should we talk about it? We talk about it on this show, normally in front of this microphone, this phallic microphone. Uh, Well, that has happened more than a couple of times with me and Hey Kids Comics. Two of those times were episodes featuring the work of Darwin Cook. The first time was your great coverage of The New Frontier, which I owned but had never read. Listening to your show, I read it and then immediately ordered and watched the DC DVD animated film version and loved that as well. The same thing happened this time with Superman Kryptonite from the Superman Confidential series. This time was a little different. I picked up the individual issues from a collector at a local convention. When I got home and thumbed through them, not reading a single word, just looking at the art, I must admit to be more than a little disappointed when I realised that Mr Cook had not done the art. I put them away, thinking I'd get around to them at some point. That point came when I saw the description of your episode. I put the episode on my iPod and sat down to read the issues. While the lack of Darwin Cook interior art is still a disappointment, I must admit that Tim Sale did an admirable job. Reading at this time, I saw so much more than I expected, and then even more was added to my enjoyment as Michael's sharp eyes caught stuff on an all-new level. Bravo! All in all, an incredible story by the late Darwin Cook. 
Now, to the really big question that has been burning a hole into your every waking moment of not knowing. How indeed does Superman communicate with his robots from afar when he needs one or more of them to jump into action? Why? Super ventriloquism, of course. A ventriloquist will use misdirection to make it appear that his voice is being thrown to a dummy or box or telephone or even out at sea. Superman, however, has the ability to actually throw his voice to another place in real time, regardless of the distance. Using his super larynx and voice box, Superman is able to send an audible signal that only his robots can hear. Since each robot has a unique name, Superman is able to tell Clark Kent Robot X3 to escort Lois to the movies, for example. The super ventriloquism part is ripe for ridicule, but it wouldn't be that much of a stretch to think that Superman could make sounds that normal humans couldn't hear, but his robots could be made to pick up those sounds and respond to them. So there, an oft-used Silver Age trope made logical for a modern age audience. Sort of. I think that's a great idea, but also a little bit creepy. It is, yeah. What if Superman sends Clark Kent Robot X3 out with Lois to the movies, Yeah. and Lois is feeling particularly amorous in tonight's the night? How, how realistic are these? Yeah, how robots? far do these robots go <laughs> to maintain Superman's cover? See, if, if it, the robot was in such a situation where Lois was ready to go all the way... <laughs> Clark, Superman, would then think, oh, I've, yeah, okay, and then he does a super switch. Oh! At the last minute. Yeah, also referred to as super ghosted. Impregnating Superman with super seed. <laughs> Lois, sorry, with super seed. <laughs> right, yeah. At the last possible second. <laughs> yeah. And then she won't remember any of it, and he'll bugger off to another planet for five years. <laughs> <laughs> Just giving us Superman returns. That's true, yeah. It's amazing how you can tie all these together if you sit and think about it, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, would a Superman robot be considered a... No, let's not go there. <laughs> Does it super vibrate? <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. That's it for now, says Bob. Thanks again for the great show and excellent coverage of the Darwin cookbooks. He will be missed. Look forward to more episodes and specials and next time I'll send an email when it has nothing to do with Superman. Do you guys ever cover Batman or Spider-Man? All the best. Bob, host of Superman Forever Radio at supermanforever.com. I, don't, I suppose we could do a bit of Batman here and there, couldn't we? Yeah. I mean, I don't know we've done much. Have we? Just only become a, a side Batman podcast. <laughs> yeah, With more a... to come at some point. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure we've got some more Batman to come at some point. Speaking of Batman! That was an excellent segue. I thought that was a magnificent segue. It's like we've been doing this a while and know how to bleed from one to the other. You know what we're like? We're <laughs> somewhat like, professional. Somewhat professional. We are like a Todd McFarlane scene transition <laughs> where he has the blood of somebody who's just been killed turning right. into tomato ketchup. Okay. Which somebody's putting on their donuts. Right. Why? I, I, I don't. Peter Parker mocks this in the story. Okay. Why are you putting ketchup on your donuts? And the guy's like, does not everybody do this? Right. And Peter's like, no, no, they don't. Okay. Is that an actual scene? Yes, that's an actual scene. As his, him referring to wanting to take t- Twin Peaks while he's away in Canada. Right, okay. Which goes back into... See, it's, we don't throw this together. That's, that's actually a bizarre scene for the sake of comic book storytelling. Yes, just to the transition. Why? What made Todd sit there and go, I'll have this book, put ketchup on <laughs> well, his donut, and my, then Peter comment on that? My personal thinking was, if he was not the writer... How, how many pages did he need to pad to think <laughs> that that was an okay conversation? Actually, his scene transitions are quite good. Right. Right, okay. go, that's not one of the better ones <laughs> but most of them are quite good but we've not we're speaking about Batman yeah. we've, we've, we've ruined that brilliant <laughs> segue yeah. that we just did uh, she also bought me my second vagrant killing omnibus yes which uh, if you drop this on your foot you'd break your foot it's the second volume two 
because that's normally the second. Golden Age Batman Omnibus. Ho ho! Which can go with volume one, which is up there. Yeah. Which is awesome. So I've got the second is one of these. Is that a Darwin Cook cover? That does indeed look like a Darwin Cook cover. Yeah, Batman and Robin in the 1940s Batmobile with machine guns at the front. Yeah. For people that complained about the 1989 Tim Burton movie. I do love the idea of holy gee whiz Robin manning the machine guns. <laughs> <laughs> Let's mow these crooks down, Batman. Holy holes in the villain's body, Batman. <laughs> Holy bloodletting. <laughs> um, this, uh, what does this one cover? This Now this one, before we discuss what it covers, this has a hugely disappointing cover. Once Is you take the, the dust jacket off. a hugely disappointing cover, or were you disappointed after seeing the Spider-Man? It's very, well, you normally at least get some silver embossing. Okay. This just says Batman, the go- they've not even put any, em- there's nothing there. What a job. Oh, come on, DC. Get your bloody act together. You're charging a ton of money for these things. Let's put some silver embossing on it. Um, this covers Batman uh, issues 8 through 15, Detective Comics 57 through 74, World's Finest Comics 4 through 9, and has an introduction by Matt Allen Collins. I would prefer if they actually put the introductions in from the archive editions, because uh, it would be nice to have them in the omnibuses as well. For those of us that maybe didn't buy the archives or are replacing the archives or whatever. But this Max Allen Collins comes from 1991, this introduction. Right, how so it's he, not even a new introduction. No, how could he write this from 1991? Where did that come from? Because he refers to stories in this volume. Mm. So I, I don't understand that. But it, it's nice to have all these in one place. I would get the Superman ones as well, but I've got all the Superman Chronicles, which covers volume 1 through 10 right. so I presume the omnibuses will at some point reach that point probably with volume 3 I would have thought so I may start buying the Superman ones but I won't get the Superman hardcovers I'll wait for the paperbacks so they go with the Chronicles right. and you know why? why? those paperback Chronicles are only 15 quid so the cheaper Superman, Flash, Batman if I'd known they were going to be that cheap I'd have got Superman uh, Batman as paper Right. but your mum started buying me the hardcovers now the hardcovers do look cool yeah don't they they do look fantastic so Golden Age Batman Omnibus Volume 2 and I've just thrown it on the floor <laughs> which I didn't mean to do so I just do that well what's next for you oh another this is the last of my girlfriend uh, it's the Legend of Zelda Hyrule Historia which is a nice little a tome that Dark Horse published. Mm. And basically, uh, it's it's an art book of sorts. So it came out on the 25th anniversary when they had a game coming out. So a big chunk of it's the art for this game. So is and this the, new? No, this right. is a few years old. And it's the 30th anniversary next year. All right, so they'll be doing another one. There's, they've announced three more. <laughs> Excellent, good. Uh, a big... What was quite controversial at the time was all the games were set in the same world but at different points in time. Mm. So they announced an official timeline. So were the prequels and sequels and stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's even three alternate timelines. Oh, right. So, yeah. This was quite controversial. So is this why people get really into Zelda? Kind of, I guess. Because it's kind of like that comic book thing of alternate realities and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, and then the rest of it is just concept art right. from all of the games up until this point. Right. It's a nice artwork, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it's really nice. Yeah, it's a nice little artwork. It's a nice little... Because the, the gold embellishment on it. Yeah, that well. isn't on my Batman omnibus. Yeah. I mean, granted, you don't get um, a dust jacket. No, that's true. But it's, it is a neat little collection. Do you find dust you... jackets irritating? Yeah, I take them off when I'm reading right. them. Right, okay, fair enough. It's a shame, really, because some of the dust jackets are really nice, but you're right, when you're actually reading the omnibus, they do get in the way. Yeah. Don't they? I need one of those little things for resting my omnibuses on. Well, I'm still reading Bonter at the moment, and all the, the tops and the bottoms of the dust jackets all 
crumpled up and bent where it's come up while I'm reading it. Yeah. See, the, the two Rogue One novels, the prequel novel and then the prequel novel, because um, <laughs> Rogue One's a prequel, yeah, yeah, yeah. both came out and I was like, should I get them both? And I was like, no, I'll wait for the paperback. So there's a novel that's a prequel to the prequel? Yeah. There's Catalyst yeah, yeah, yeah. is a Rogue One prequel. Right. And then... So what's that about? That is about Jin Ursa's father and Krennic working on the Death Star. Oh, before they meet at the yeah. beginning. Yeah. Right. So, oh, because we've not talked about this since since we did it. We saw Rogue One. We did, yeah. We did see Rogue One. And what did, what did you think about it? It's my third favourite up until the last five minutes. What's wrong with the last five minutes? Darth Vader kicking ass is the no, no, best bit. No, 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 no. Bit. The bit where they wanted to tie it into too much of a neat bow and it created a I, few Yeah, problems. I agree with that because like, the last five, I did would scratch my head at why the Tanta V4 was hidden in another ship. Yeah. It's, it's too neat a bow for the sake of being... Yeah. A nice little... Yeah, maybe it would have been better if they transmitted the plans to the Tanta V4, which was passing by or not part of the Which was a, a peaceful ship. Yeah, and then with... they ran. Yeah. And Vader followed them. But maybe it'll make more sense on reviewings, because for the most part, I really liked Rogue One. Yeah. I loved... Uh, I liked all the characters. I liked that they had the guts to... Spoilers! Okay, we've left a big enough gap. I like that they had the guts to kill them all off. Yes, which we end. knew would happen. Yeah, because it was like you said to me. Well, I, you I, texted I, me with, "Is it really spoilers?" I if you guessed it, we'll admit there's no spoilers in there because you know what happens because we've all seen Star Wars. But it uses the fact that it's a prequel to its advantage. Yeah, and unlike Force Awakens, which watches like fan fiction, Mm-mm. Rogue One uses the franchise and your knowledge of the franchise to its advantage. It utilises it quite well. Yeah, and there's some beautiful shots in it. Beautiful! Yeah. yeah. Turkey to Bernard Matthews' turkey dinner. I've not found the reference to Godzilla. I know it's in there somewhere. It's in there somewhere. But yeah, but yeah there's loads of little, little nods to Star Wars. Some of them were a bit too on the nose, like, like Doctor Invisident. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Pondo Baba, I believe, <laughs> yeah. is, is his real name. Him and just happening to be on the same planet as, as Gianursa. He's got a death warrant in twelve star systems. Yeah, so he, he, that's one of them. Yeah, so yeah. so why is he there? Does it not make more he, sense for him to be somewhere where he doesn't he, have a death warrant? He's not got one yet. <laughs> Not got one though, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, There's a film though waiting to happen. Yeah, and I, that's the next Star Wars story I want. Pondo Baba the movie. Pondo Baba, Pondo Baba and Doctor Evazidan, Evazidan, or whatever his name. Because knowing the, you know the gritty names, it'll just be Baba, a Star Wars story. <laughs> How we met Doctor Evazidan. <laughs> exactly. That's yeah. The, that's the plot. You've got a film <laughs> because again. If you've got the entire Star Wars franchise to make your own story, why would you want to do a prequel when you can do Pondo Baba? Yeah, that's possible. Yeah. You could do instead of a Boba Fett movie. Yeah. Let's have a Pondo Baba movie. A David Attenborough style documentary about the life. <laughs> the lifespan of the Bantha. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, the potential there is, is exactly. Is, is the Bantha watches its prey. <laughs> the sand people are moving in. It is a dangerous time <laughs> for the Banthers. <laughs> <laughs> and they've got on camera Anakin slaughtering all the sand people and Anakin never knew. <laughs> it's at this point my cameramen were caught by the uh, Tusken Raiders. <laughs> this, and it's at this point that my cameramen were slaughtered by a would-be <laughs> Jedi. <laughs> oh, that would be funny. But there is the potential. I want this Obi-Wan movie. I now want a <laughs> Obi-Wan death. wedding crasher. Yeah, <laughs> 
I want the Darth Vader movie. Oh, I'm just hunting down and exterminating the Jedi. Yeah. I think that would be well, that's awesome. That's what the comics have been doing. Yeah, but let's see it on camera because that, that one minute where he just slaughtered the rebels. The one, that, like, yeah, that minute at the end. It was great. Made up for what I thought was an irrelevant scene in the middle. What, where they go to Mustafar and Vader's ba- yeah. in the back to tank? Yeah. And, yeah, but he made a joke. He did, yeah. Which was funny. There was a very irrelevant, but the last. 10 seconds of him in made oh, up for badass. it. just badass. Yeah. I want that. I want that film. Just I want an entire one film of straight that. after Sith. Mm. So he's still always in constant pain, although that was the implication well, from the back. You know what would be better? What? Is if it wasn't a film about Darth Vader hunting down the Jedi, but a film about the Jedi escaping from Darth Vader. Because mm. what made that scene so tense was you're on the rebel side being chased by this unstoppable force. And he just kills them all. So that would make for a more tense film. Yeah, and ultimately he's got to kill them all. Yeah. And you could actually have actually see him kill Ahsoka Tano. Well, would it make for a better TV show? A different Jedi every episode? I don't know. See, I want to see it in live action because they keep playing with Vader in Rebels, but you get a kind of get the impression they that can't he's... can't do anything Yeah, with he's it. off limits. You can have him, but yeah. he can't actually do anything. I mean, he came in the last episode of season two, I think it was, and basically owned Darth Maul and owned Ahsoka Tano. Yeah. So Vader's been scurry in Rebels again. But I, the only thing, I, the only problem I had with Rogue One was I think they should have had Kanan in it from Rebels. I didn't agree with that decision to keep Rebels completely separate from Rogue One. Yeah. Kanan should have been in Rogue One as one of the people that is on Yavin, mm. and he goes with them. He says, "I support what you're doing," and he gets killed as well. Well, you want Rebels to be like that? Yeah. TV show with the Black Seven. End? Yeah. Blake I want Seven. to die at the end. Yeah. And I think having Kanan. In Rogue One would have added some depth to Rebels that yeah. you know for definite what happens to him. And so to what happens to the other ones? More of a synergy within the yeah. shows. Yeah, because Freddie Prince Jr. could totally play Kanan in live action. Right, he really could. Yeah, because he's not that dissimilar to the character, and he's roughly the age that he could pull it off. Mm. So that's my only. I wish they'd put Kanan in it and killed him. Well, I just think uh, Star Wars could benefit from venturing into Netflix TV shows. Yeah, but but does Disney have a stake in Netflix? don't know. It's been incredibly successful with Marvel so far. Yeah. It'd be a little bit silly to ignore that line. Do you not think, though, with Star Wars, they'll only venture into TV when the films start flopping? I suppose. Like, with like with Planet of the Apes, they, start, they made a TV show once the films had stopped making money. Right. And that kind of thing. Mm. So maybe they'll only do that when... The thing is, though, Star Wars will never not make money. I don't... I, Even I, when the films mm. had gone away, there was still never no Star Wars. In between 83 and 86, it was a bit rough. Right. 86 and 89, there wasn't very much. Yeah. But letting it lie fallow created this fan base. That's true. So, I don't know. Because what we've got next, episode seven's coming up next. Eight. Eight. Episode eight. I keep getting that mixed up. Which is now going to be quite sad with the passing of Carrie Fisher. Yes. And then the Han Solo movie's Which filming this year. Which actually leaves episode nine. That's going to be quite a tricky one. Yeah. Either you have a heartless, soulless... CG Rogue One Princess layer, which just did not work. I didn't mind Tarkin, even though I thought the eyes were lifeless. Do you not think it's somewhat? I don't. There's something soulless about just having a CG character when he's been an actor. There's something. It's like you know when they've done two pack holograms. Hmm. There's the content there, but it's soulless. And we're now in a world where it doesn't matter if an actor dies because you can just CG render them. So, episode nine is now either going to be a heartless, soulless hmm. CG Carrie Fisher, or 
it can be a well-written love letter similar to the recent Gilmore Girls. Do you think they'll change episode 8 so that Leia dies in it? Well, even if not like, but like I said, with the Gilmore Girls, you just start episode 9 with a funeral. Yeah. Is, to me, the best... Because obviously I don't know what happens in episode 9... But to me, that's the best and most respectful way to do to it. To handle it. Yeah. Just leave episode eight as it is. Yeah. Don't fiddle with it. Don't change it so Leia dies. Just leave it. And then open, there's been a battle or whatever. Yeah, you just have something in the middle. Yeah, Princess Leia passed away in between films. Because it, it doesn't matter whether they've, they've done it well or not. To me, the having computer-generated actors hmm. is quite uncomfortable. Because then it doesn't matter if a character dies. They'll always be there. Well, I, I had this conversation with Michael Bailey when we were talking about this, and it's like the Peter Cushing, Peter Cushing's family agreed to this, mm. and they've signed a non-disclosure agreement so they can't actually discuss it, but they agreed to it, and they felt that this was respectful and important to the story to have Tarkin be there. Yeah. Now, why they, they couldn't just recast it, I don't know. It's whether or not any of us would have bought anyone but Peter Cushing as Tarkin. Yeah. Because then you're into that shaky ground. Well, they've just cast Rhee Han Solo. Mm. Is Han Solo less important than Tarkin to the Star Wars universe? Yeah, yeah. So you've got that. But then we got onto the subject that, well, give it a couple more years worth of technology. They won't need to recast Harrison Ford. Yeah. You take a full body map of Harrison Ford now. Well, they've already started. He could play Indiana Jones in perpetuity. They've already started doing aging and de-aging. Yeah. And some of it's good, and yeah. some of it's not good. But you get in the part where, when do you need actors now? Yeah. It's quite... There's no definitive answer to it, and obviously people feel differently about it. Mm. But it's a weird one. Yeah, because there was an actor playing Tarkin yeah. on stage with the other actors, and then they've CG'd him later. For me, the only place that didn't work, I didn't think the impersonation was spot on. Right, yeah. I didn't think the voice was right more than anything, and the eyes. But the layer one at the end, I thought, was completely unnecessary. Of course, yeah. He should have just walked into that room and seen her the back of her head. Well, again, with the Tarkin, when you first see him, it's just the back of his body and his reflection in the mirror. Yeah, you, you were like, they should have just left it at that. And I thought subtlety would have been a lot better than full frontal. Mm. Because then you don't need all that... I'm assuming it would be cheaper, because you don't need to generate as much. Mm. But also... It's it's like things look ugly when you shine a light on them. Yeah. And that CGI looks bad because there was so much of it full frontal. Hmm. Let's see. I, we'll have to watch. We'll watch it again when it comes out on Blu-ray. I'm wondering if it'll play better not on a forty-foot screen. I suppose. Yeah. That may be something. But for the most part, it was a really enjoyable Star Wars movie. It was. Because that was my big surprise. That the whole there was all those rumors about reshoots and all those rumors about oh it's not going as well as we thought it was. No, Disney are toning it down. Gareth Edwards have said it Disney said made it darker. Lot, yeah, they said it's totally darker than what it initially was. And all those reports came from a, from from where? Where did those reports come from, Michael? Did, oh, was <laughs> it a Fox-owned news report station, perhaps? <laughs> right, yeah. You know, Fox who may have an axe to grind that they don't get to release Star Wars movies anymore. Yeah. Hmm. So I, I, I thought it was it was great. Yeah, I was surprised I'm, I'm, by how Star Wars it was. Yeah, I'm, I'm quite a big war film, Vietnam film fan. Mm. So uh, and it, it, it was it, Serving it, Private Ryan meets the Dirty Dozen. Yeah, wasn't it? So all right. And it I, says a lot about me that my three favorite films are Rogue One, <laughs> Empire, and Force and Return of the Sith. Yeah, you're deeply cynical. That's what it says about you. <laughs> 
Uh, next email's a really short one, so we'll just blitz through this. Andrew Morton emailed in. Hi, Andy and Michael. I only have the Court of Owls trade paperback and remember reading it thinking, wow, there's a rich guy in Gotham that isn't a bad guy. Who knew? Thanks, Andrew. <laughs> he then turns out to be a bad guy, <laughs> He then turns out to be a bad guy. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that, that's true. Uh, anyway, uh, my next present was again off Ange. Uh, oh, she got me the figure. I've not mentioned the figures. Yeah. B&M Bargains. We found out that B&M Bargains, which is a... It, what is B&M Bargains? It's, it's not a cheap shop like Poundland or anything, but it's not an expensive shop. It's where it? you want to nip in if you need washing up liquid. Yeah, and everything's and, reasonably and you, and you stop off because and... there's some sweets there. Yeah. And you've got your kid with you, so you walk them around the toy aisle. And it's one of them shops that has everything. It yeah. has toys, it has cleaning fluid. But you're not expecting anything from it. Yeah, it has bits for your car, it's it has a, food. It's, it's a grimier home bargains. Yeah, pretty much. And again, what's home bargains? <laughs> no, I know what you're thinking. You're right, what the hell's a home bargains? I, I can't think of an equivalent for the rest of the world. Is it not just a 7-Eleven? No, it's more than... Because 7-Eleven is just a supermarket. I suppose a 7-Eleven is more of a spa, or is yeah, it? Yeah, I can't think of the best word to... Because it's not... B&M isn't really a supermarket. Is it a flea market? Oh... It's everything. It's a licensed, branded flea market. Yeah, you can get mo- you can get motor oil, you can get bedding, you can get food. It's, yeah. it's pretty much your one-stop shop for everything moderately priced. Provided you're the per- kind of person who, who uh, has a pack of c- uh, cigarettes in your dressing gown and you go out in your pyjamas <laughs> and your slippers. Uh, yeah, all right, fair enough. Anyway, um, we discovered that B&M Bargains had a load of Batman shit. Yeah, yeah. Like, for cheap... Like, what was that big set I sent you a photo of? The, all the Arkham Asylum figures. Yeah, there was one figure from each game. Was reasonable. All the, all the DC collectible stuff. Yeah, lots of DC. And they had the animated series action figures. Yes. And I mentioned this to Ange, and I was like, oh. So she went along and she picked up Batman, Robin, Poison Ivy, Mr. Freeze, Two Face, and the Joker from it. They're great figures. Yeah. Some really... of them are better than others in playable. Yeah. Um, Mr. Freeze is stiff as hell and wouldn't move. As evinced by the fact that I that's quite funny that Mr. Freeze is, is stiff. Yeah, so I'm going to have to glue that back on. Because he's, he's all cold and stiff. And yeah, very good. Uh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I got what you were yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Two Face is a great figure, but really spindly legs. They all have spindly legs. Batman doesn't. It's the kind of oh, you see the Nightwing. All oh, right, okay. Spindly legs. Right, well, I haven't seen the Nightwing. Um, Batman and Robin look great together. It's the Tim Drake Robin. From the animated series. Which not... goes well with the second Yeah, Batman. because the Batman is the second series Batman. He doesn't have the yellow oval. I think that's a better suit. So I'm happy with that. Right. Batman's a really solid figure. He is. Batman's a great the, figure. The box had some heft to it. Yeah, yeah. It comes with two capes, which have weight. Yeah. They're not flimsy pieces the, the, of cloth. The rubbery stuff. Yeah, they? so it's really good. He comes with a Batarang and a Bat Grapple, as does Robin. They're, they're, of the lot, they're my favourites, the Batman and Robin They're the ones we spent most time playing with. Yeah, well, they're also... The the articulations on them is better. More playable. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's ball joints in the shoulders and the knees, and you can move them and put them but different They were moulded by different people as well. Yeah, they? well, yeah. you looked at all that, didn't you, on the yeah. boxes? Uh, whereas Mr. Freeze is really stiff, and you can't do much with him, and he's a boring figure anyway, and he comes with a gun. You could take his head off and put his little yeah. spider legs on him. Poison Which Ivy. was a Batman Beyond thing. Yes, yes, it was. Uh, well, you can get Batman Beyond. You can, Batman, which is cool. Batman Beyond is part of the oh, figure. Oh, no, that's on my list. Is it? Yeah. Uh, okay, fair that enough. That and the Phantasm one. 
Yeah, the Phantasm box set. I mean, the, the thing about this was the reason I bought them, I've always looked at them in Forbidden Planet and liked them. Forbidden Planet charged anywhere between eighteen ninety nine and twenty two ninety nine well, for these figures. I bought the Nightwing and the Catwoman ones for Dana's birthday, mm. and then you said, oh, they're eight quid in B&M. Well, they didn't have Nightwing and Catwoman, though, right, yeah. so that worked out all right for you. But at seven ninety nine each, you're like, wow. They're really good, yeah. Seven, you'd pay seven ninety nine for them. Yeah. I would not pay twenty two ninety nine for them. You know the proper DC collectible high yeah. end toys. Yeah, they're really good. I mean, I love the Scarecrow. As I've put a screwdriver in his hand and he's the in behind his back. The Joker. Yeah. The Joker figure's a good one because he's the original Joker, not the re- redo. Right. So there's there's quite a lot of in- there's an interesting contrast though. You wouldn't get that Joker with that Batman and Robin in the series. Yeah, but the toys, you can do whatever you want. Yeah, This I, goes back to getting your Star Wars toys out yeah, and having little and fights with people who never But made. also, I prefer that Batman, the yeah. redesigned Batman, to the first series Batman, and I prefer the original Joker to the redesigned I like, Joker. I like the second series Joker. Yeah, do you yeah. like his black hole eyes? I do. Oh, okay, I, I like the second series Scarecrow as well. Yeah, well, I I prefer the second series too first. He's black and white suit mm. to the one that he wore in the first. What did he wear in the first one? Didn't he? It wasn't, didn't have a pattern on it. I was always oh, black and white. I don't it remember. Was kind of purpley, wasn't it? Yeah. Or am I remembering the wrong? No, I, I don't know. Bruce Wayne always wore the same suit, and then in the second series they redesigned him. Right. Have a black shirt, so he looked cooler. Mm. So, so, so most of the redesigns are alright. I prefer the redesigned Catwoman as well. I think. Yeah. But you know, they're great little figures, and for for that price, they're worth having. They're not worth paying twenty two ninety nine for. Yeah. And I wouldn't have done. Anyway, uh, next present. Angela bought me this. It's really awesome. It's the Amazing Spider-Man Ultimate Newspaper Comics Collection, Volume 1, from 1977 to 1979. Oddly published by IDW. Yeah. And this has all the newspaper strips by Stanley and John Romita. I've got these in the little 70s paperbacks that I wore off eBay. Oh, right. But for the most part, this is Stanley and John Romita Spider-Man series I've never read. Okay. So that's awesome. Apparently, there's two other volumes of this available. If anyone wants to buy me and send them, that'd be great. Uh, you take the dust cover off this and it's got exactly the same cover on the the jacket. So you can just get rid of the dust jacket. So you can just get rid of the dust jacket, which I think I prefer. But that, it's it's sideways. Now, Marvel apparently release, received a lot of criticism when they released these because of the presentation. I don't quite remember what. Oh, didn't they have them where it's the big pages, but they would have just have the three or so panels in Something, a straight line it, on it. There was criticism of it. But this, they've actually published them. There's a good introduction by uh, some guy, uh, Bruce Canwell. I don't know who Bruce Canwell is. Hopefully he's not that idiot that I had an argument with on Facebook. Um, he was an asshole. You um, had an argument with someone on Facebook? I didn't have an argument. I was trying to be nice about his writing, and he was a monumental jerk. Okay. I can't remember his name. He's got an article published in Amazing Spider-Man Volume 1, and eventually I just snapped at him. That He, he was a crusader of truth. Right. Wants to find out the truth behind what happened with Steve Ditko and Stanley. Right. And I finally just went, you can't find the truth because you're so biased against Stanley. Right. That you're not, you're completely unqualified. And Michael Morse type. Yeah. He's yeah. not interested in the truth. He's interested in in perpetuating his version of the truth. Okay. So and eventually said, I'm done talking to. You. I don't remember. Who, I don't remember his name. I'm sure I could find it if I dug out the Amazing Spider-Man vol- Omnibus Volume One, but he was an asshole. Okay. Uh, but this, this looks like really, it looks really good. I may get Volume Two and Three if I can afford them. Depends how much they are. I've not got a clue. What other newspaper one do you have? Is it Batman? There's a Superman one up there. Ah, right. Yeah. Yeah, I got that in HMV for four quid. The Sunday Classics Superman. Right. So that, that's yeah. So I may get more of these because the Spider-Man ones follow a different continuity, don't they? Do they? Yeah. They got married in the comics at the same time. Right. But he's still married in the comics. 
okay. in the, the newspaper strips. Right. And it's like Stan kind of branched off his own direction. So that's really nice, isn't it? It's um. So how can we tell two different stories then? Because Stan didn't come be bothered marrying up with the comics. Oh, did he carry? Did he carry on writing this after he left the comics? Yeah, then? yeah. This well, he started this in seventy seven. He's he's long since stopped writing the comics at that point. Right. And he's still writing it. Right. He still writes the Spider Man newspaper strip. So that's really nice as well. What What's your final thing, Michael? Well, I've got my my t shirt, my Smiths one. Oh yeah, Smiths one that I got you from Manchester. I'd go out tonight, but I wouldn't have six to work. Yeah, I'd got that from the Christmas market. Well. Right. Last, this is quite a big one. It's well, that's what I'd, I'd, I'd slam it down on the table like you do to make it make a noise. I'm too scared of damaging it. And, and you'll also make the microphone rock. That's true. Yeah, uh, it is the Absolute Preacher Volume One. Oh, yeah. Who bought you this? This was you. Ah, uh, of course it was. Because you, because you're too damn nice. Because I'm, I'm because you found it at a cheap price. I didn't find it are, at a cheap price. Yeah, I found cheaper, it at a cheaper price. These are monumentally stupidly priced now. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know whether this is Brexit's fault. Because we used to get these for 40, 50 quid, and that yeah, was all right, and that was okay. And yeah. it's, it's, it's the now hundred and a skyrocketed a hundred percent increase. Yeah, at least. I like that. I don't know if this is Brexit. I don't know if this is DC. What's the American price on it? One hundred fifty dollars. So one hundred and fifty dollars still isn't one hundred and thirty quid. Yeah, well, I've I've seen I saw this for between eighty and a hundred and thirty pound. I've seen this at around uh, volume one. I saw at ninety five quid. Right. Volume two, I've seen unreleased at a hundred and ten pound. So there's still a chance you'll find that for cheap when it comes out. Yeah, but it's, it's this just... was one of these things that I'd like, mm. but I because of the price, I was in no rush to want. Mm. But because now you have to buy all three. I do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, on one side it's got the cover for issue two or three yep. of Cassidy covered in blood, and then this was this a issue cover or was it a trade cover of Jesse and his? Dad I think that's Mexican a trade cover. That's right. not an issue cover. And then inside, it's a lovely. It's the leather, book is lovely. Yeah, yeah, it's got gold stuff on it. I like that it makes it look like it's one of those dusty tomes that Giles always used to dig out yeah. and buffer. Uh, and it collects uh, up to issue twenty six, which is weird. Because volume two collects twenty seven through 30. 40. It goes so. up to forty and then collects all of the specials apart from Tall and the Saddle. Yeah, which means the last volume only collects one special and twelve or so, seventeen. Yeah, issues. It depends how thick they're going to be. I don't think it's quite the cash cow, the cash gouging that the death one was. Yeah, yeah. Because you remember when somebody took that? Were you not with us for that? We went to see Neil Gaiman. Right. And your mum got something signed. He did a little sketch in it. For yeah. Her, oh, and were you he, not there for he that? He said he'd sign it because he'd he signed the death hardcover for that guy if he could look at it because he hadn't got his comp copy right. and he wanted to know what the hell he'd padded it out with. They padded it out with because it's got the two miniseries in it, which is only six issues, and the gallery, and then three issues. It's got death talks about sex. Right. From the Vertigo Aids yeah, thing. Yeah. It's got two issues that were already collected in Sandman. Yeah. Another special. So what's the point? Another special that is collected. It's number eight, one of them. Yeah. The Sound of Her Wings. Yeah. And the one with um, not metamorphic man, metamorphic girl, whatever she's called. Yeah. Uh, and it's got the death story, which is collected in The Endless Nights, right. which is in volume five of Sandman. Right. So they basically reprinted stuff. 
Well, there's the Absolute version, yeah. there's the Deluxe hardback, which is just a cheaper hardback of the Absolute, and then there's the Trade Paperback, which is just a cheaper collection of what's in the Deluxe, which is in the Absolute. Yeah. So this isn't quite the money grab that that is. No, no. Well, this is... Um, there's an introduction by Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, who wrote the TV show. Uh, whatever. So Jordan, and then... And what's, what's strange about this is, it's weird seeing a mid-early 90s... Steve Dillon. Steve Dillon, but not just, but the comic. You can see the texture of the pages in the like. Look at that guy's there. Right? Do you th- so you think it's scanned from the comics rather than the original art? It looks it because yeah. we go through all these, duh, 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 duh. and for some of the uh, covers, if they need to pad out a page, they'll have um, a little prelim sketch before it. There's only like five of those. Hmm. Yes. Yeah. yeah there you go. Um, and then the Vietnam issue yeah so we go to the back it ends with the Cassidy origin story and then uh, new art gone to Texas yeah some of the some representations which, uh, have gone to Texas in. well they, they don't keep letters pages do they no which is a shame because he even talked about it saying they stopped doing it because they had message boards and that on the internet but I, I like yeah but you don't put message boards on the internet in collections like this do you oh, exactly See, if, if it wasn't for the big expensive collection and my obsession with big expensive collections, I think the best way to read this is the single issues because mm. they're not just stories. They collect that little part of history as well, seeing who was on Unplugged that week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what yeah. albums were coming out at the time? <laughs> yeah. There's a new Steve Dillon art for the 2016 reissue of Preacher. Where Tulip looks completely different. They all look completely different. Uh, Apart yes, from Cassidy. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say Jesse looks a little less wrinkled. Well, he's, he's not as... Um, Cross hatchy now, is it? Yeah. And then uh, it's. So well, they're the cover from the treads. Well, there's Glenn Fabry's Wizard stuff. and a retail poster. Right. And then it's the pinup strip from issue fifty, which we're not up there up to there yet. No. And uh, there's a. So where's the people in this that aren't actually in the boot yet? Well, yeah, because where is it? Think we've her met... star? Have we met her star yet? Yeah, he's in this. Right. I think the Paris stuff is collected in this. Right. But then you get this one bit. Santa Killers. There's our face and the girl he meets in Salvation. Right. We're not up to there yet. So that's from issue 66. That's from the final issue of the series. That's 77. No, it's 66. Is it? We're around for 66 issues. Right, okay. Yeah. You're thinking of um, Sandman Ruff. I am, I am. But yeah, so we've not even met her yet. Why have they put the pinups for issue 50 in the back of this? I don't know, because it's, it's a bit of a strange one. Because, I'm, again, I'm thinking, what's in volume three? Yeah. Unless they've got loads of pre-production stuff they're going to put at the back of three. But, yeah, otherwise it's going to be quite, not the flimsiest, but still quite small mm. in comparison to this, anyway. Well, like we, we've just pointed out what they did with Death. That's probably the biggest cash grab they did. I know, but with Death, it wasn't a continuation of a story. It was its own thing. Yeah, so there may be people that were only buying the death issue, I suppose. All right. I'll I'll have it if it wasn't so stupidly priced at so little. Yeah. Uh, My last present. This was a surprise. I didn't even remember mentioning this. Anne's got me a Treasury Edition. Yeah. She got me the JLA Secret Origins Treasury Edition. Which which we were only talking about the other day. Which we were only talking about the other day, yeah. Because we did Superman Peace on Earth. Yeah. For the Christmas show. And uh, this is... This was kind of put out in between the four volumes that they did that were Superman, Batman, Captain Marvel, Shazam, or Wonder Woman. That's just pissed off a number of the audience. Um, 
It does seem strange calling it Shazam because he can't say Shazam, can he? No, so you, you wouldn't call yourself Shazam. No, he would, would in, you? he would introduce himself as Shazam and change back to the. So, what's your name then? I'm me. <laughs> yeah. What was that? <laughs> yeah. uh, this was put out in between the four Superman, Batman, Captain Marvel, Wonder Woman one. I don't have the Wonder Woman one. That's the one I don't have. Right. I've got so Captain Marvel to cover the fact that JLA Liberty and Justice was going to be late. So, is it kind of like a supplementary? Yeah, teaser, taster type thing. Yeah, so Ross did some new stuff for it. So in addition to a republication of the Superman two-page, Batman two-page, Wonder Woman two-page, and Captain Marvel two-page origins that are in the other volumes, yeah, he did Flash, he did Green Lantern, he did Aquaman, Martian Manhunter, Green Arrow, Hawkman, the Atom, of all people. Um... Plastic Man was probably right. the biggest surprise. Plastic Man was on the team though at that point, wasn't he? Yes, he was. And the Justice League of America. And then the poster of all the ones that you've seen over the standees. But just collected together. But standing together. And then an interview with Alex Ross where he talks about... Some really nice sketches in there. Yeah. And that, oh, that's... Justice. Yeah. Was that a thing at this point there? Uh, he doesn't mention Justice in his interview. So the art could be separate from it then? Yeah. So he, the interview is primarily about where these treasuries came from. And that the next one was going to be Liberty and Justice, and it was going to be more a conventional comic book than the others had been. Because the idea behind there was the no others, message to convey. Well, no, that as well. But one of the things we mentioned in Peace on Earth there was no speech bubbles. It was all text. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And his reasoning for doing that, he says in the interview, was that they wanted these would go out to bookstores. Right. And he was right. These did appear in regulation bookstores. And yeah. he wanted people who didn't know the language of comics to be able to read them. I suppose Alex Ross is the best artist to cross over into that yeah. literary area, though. Yeah. and he, 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 One of the things he did mention that I wish I'd known this when we recorded the Peace on Earth show. Right. Uh, you know, we talked an awful lot about the story and the political ramifications of the story and, and all of that that yeah. we, we got into the subject of. Alex Ross says that was all him. The original idea behind these was he would write and draw them. Right. And he came up with Superman first, and he came up with the plot, and he started doing it, and he realised he didn't think he was good enough to do it. So he gave the concepts to Paul Dini. Paul, so, well, Paul Dini worked on Peace on Earth that was already underway. Right. So you can probably argue that Paul Dini was to that just the, what Stan Lee was to the Jack Kirby Fantastic Force. Right. He was just the scripter. But he said for the other three, Paul Dini worked on the stories with him. Because okay. he didn't think he was a good enough writer to pull him off. He was relying on the art doing the storytelling. And Which he didn't want... probably is why the art is sometimes a little bit distant from yeah. the text. And I was also thinking that's possibly why that story perhaps doesn't hang together as well as perhaps it could. Yeah. It's it's more one person's idea of Superman failing miserably. And another person refining that idea. Yeah, maybe Paul Dini would have said, let's not do this. But it was already underway and it's too late to change stuff. Right. So Paul Dini just went along with it. That is quite interesting, actually. Yeah, so I wish we'd known that when we did the Peace on Earth. But yeah, JLS, it's always nice to get a new treasurer. So this is just a supplementary piece. Yeah, but it's nice. And I have no idea where your mum got it from. And how much she paid for it. So in the big hardback slipcase that collects them all, this is the pieces at the back. I presume so. I presume. Or they may even put the two-page origins at the front. Yeah. I I don't know, because I've not not seen that trade paper that you're on about. If you remember in Peace on Earth, I was surprised that that existed. Mm Because I don't think I'd seen it. But you'd you'd think this would be something they'd keep in print. Yeah. But Especially if it was supposed to be the library-reaching book that it was. That was was the idea behind it, so... 
So that about wraps it up for our What We Got For Christmas episode. Yeah. Which is annual, as I said. So with a bit of luck. Next year I'll have volume two. Next year. <laughs> Count your chip. If I can find <laughs> volume two for a reasonable price, then uh, then yes, we will. Uh, we will. What's his name? We'll do one more email. Before we close out the show, because this is about Superman Peace on Earth, and it's a Christmas email, so it kind of makes sense. Mark Lax emailed him. Peace, man. Hello, Leyland. Hello, Mark. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Happy New Year. All that stuff. Superman Peace on Earth. I read this when it went and first came out. I'm sure I enjoyed it at the time. Just this evening, I noticed the subject of your quote, end quote, Christmas episode, and I looked it up. And wouldn't you know, high on a shelf in my room, this book just happened to be poking out. Seriously, I've forgotten I even had this, and there it was while reading about this special episode. I'd forgotten how beautiful the boot was to look at, and how much I'd appreciated Alex Ross's art at the time. The story was very well intentioned, though of course Ross and Deanie had a bit of an agenda. They get the point across well enough, but like Michael said, there is only one way for this story to end. It's strange how more true to life a comic story is, the less it's believable. Superman can fight aliens on another planet, and everyone sees him as the hero. But try to feed the world, and you know this can't be done. Mainly when these stories become too political, the stories become more fictional than Titano ravaging Metropolis. It's too bad that this is the case. Certain writers can get their opinions across without sacrificing the story. Ross and Deanie try, and some of this comic rings true, but by no means does the story fail. In fact, it shows that not even Superman is godlike enough that many creators say he is, and then use that as an excuse as why they can't tell a relatable Superman story. I just wish this story was a bit simpler and not present a problem we know that this hero or anyone can solve. But the point of this treasure edition was to be both spectacle and earnest, and you can't fault the creators for at least trying to give us a well-told story. As usual, most of the art is stunning, and Ross's Superman for me is very George Reeves. The look is timeless, which is intentional, and gives it that nostalgic feel that, whilst also being contemporary, still captures an era. This is still a spectacular book and can be debated for a long time. Enough rambling. Thanks for doing what you do. It's always a pleasure to listen. Your friend, Mark Laxwell. Thank you very much for your email, Mark. We've got a couple more in the sack that we will save for our next and final episode. Of the year. Of the, well, the, this particular... This it, segment. Yeah, it may get to New Year before we record that, because you're going away for a couple of days, aren't you? Yeah. You're going to Dana's for a few uh, a few days. But thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for sticking with us when we just go into specials rather than weekly. We hope you had an excellent Christmas and a very enjoyable New Year. And we'll be back with at very least two more episodes in February-ish. Uh, the Todd McFarlane one and Marvel's Eye of the Camera and then after that we've not got a clue have we nope because we're not around at Easter so it may get to summer yeah before you get any more shows with a couple more Batman ones yeah <laughs> you'll be working on them in between now and summer I will be yeah because yeah. Uh, it'll take me that long it will take that to edit them yeah in many ways <laughs> alright thank you very much lovely listeners have a good year hope 2017 is good for you and we'll see you real soon goodbye goodbye Hey Kids Comics is a The Devil Will Make Work for Idle Hands to Do production and a Two True Freaks presentation. The opinions of Michael and Andrew in the show are the opinions of Michael and Andrew, kind of in the title. Uh, Music used in the show is for review purposes only and we believe that comes under fair use. If you want to drop a few tips in our tip jar, feel free to use the Two True Freaks Amazon link that costs you nothing but gives us a little something to help produce content like this. Michael and Andrew are both on Twitter and on Facebook, and correspondence to the show can be sent to Hey Kids Comics at virginmedia.com.